We're three weeks old. Hello, great. Hi, Hendrix. I'm with Fletcher Gracie. I guess that's going to happen a lot. And you are a grunter. You've got to push those poops out. That's it. Get it. Welcome to a new episode of Hot Marriage Cool Parents. Hello, world. We are so happy to have you here. I'm your host, Jamie Otis. And Douglas Hainer. And we weren't planning on having any guests this week because I'm just three weeks postpartum and we were kind of not going to have any guests on. But there's a lot going on in the world. Yeah. So first things first, I can't help but mention what happened, obviously, with George Floyd. And I saw the video. I don't know if you saw the video or not. I'm sure you've heard at least of what was going on. And honestly, I have an awful lot to say about all of it. This is the first thing that's actually like trumped coronavirus in a long time. Like there hasn't been a news story that outshined coronavirus in a long time. And I think this story, rightfully so, it should. Deserves a voice for sure. Oh, I'm so thankful that this one man had a video and he actually filmed this because it's just been very, very eye-opening. Very unfortunate event, obviously, but certainly getting the nation to have a conversation and certainly a dinner conversation with kids, with everybody as yeah. of right now. I mean, we need change. But before we go into all of that, I wanted to give a big shout out. And by the way, we love giving our five-star review shout outs. We do read all of your comments and they are much appreciated. So thank you. Um, this one comes from Lorette One. Uh, could be Loretum, maybe. Hanging on. Jamie, just hang in there. Doug, you're doing great in supporting Jamie. You made me cry with your struggles. Just know you are doing great, and we all go through trials in life. I take care of my mom and dad. They have cancer. My mom lives with me, and my dad lives about 59 miles away. So this year has been tough. I feel guilty at times because I just want to spend time with my grandkids. So, like I tell myself, just normal feelings, and know we are all very lucky and blessed. Oh, Lorette, I'm so sorry to hear about your parents. I can't even imagine that yeah. seems like a huge undertaking to take care of both of them, but also like emotional mm-hmm. stress because those are your parents and they have cancer. I'm so, so sorry. And also thank you all so much for all the outpouring of love and support on Instagram. And obviously through our five-star reviews, thank you guys so much for taking the time out to just like A, leave a review, but B, to send so much love and support our way. I'm not going to lie. This recovery has been a bit rougher, obviously, and I'm not one to just like pretend like everything's fine because first of all, I suck at that anyway. (laughs) I suck at that. Like I'm not very good at that anyways, but I'm getting better and I knew that I would. I know the postpartum hormones are crazy. Also, we're in a pandemic and Doug and I are still quarantined 100% because of the baby. Yeah. So it's been a long quarantine. But one thing that has kind of whipped my butt into shape to kind of like be thankful for my lucky stars and my white privilege is seeing that video with George Floyd. So I'm going to be very, very honest and I'm going to sound super ignorant to some of you. But I believe, obviously, in being fully transparent and honest, and I have been ignorant, I have had rose-colored glasses on, or maybe just like no glasses at all, because I was not seeing what I kept on hearing about, and that's the racism in this country. I mean, the blacks have been screaming, it still exists, and of course, we've heard on the news about some discrimination, and usually it's after the fact, and it's a he said, she said kind of thing. I never really knew what side to believe, so I just kind of moved on with my life. Until I saw that video of George Floyd, 
I was completely dumbfounded. I sat there and watched an innocent black man be killed while he begged for his mama and was like moaning that he couldn't breathe. And yet this officer just like wouldn't take his, like, I don't understand it. He wouldn't take his knee off his neck. And all I kept on thinking was like, why? Why? And that was like the only question that kept coming to my mind. The guy had no weapons. He wasn't being defiant or unruly. He didn't do anything wrong. Unfortunately, it's just that that's part of the culture. And, you know, it's going to take occurrences like this for there to be change and for police departments, just the whole thinking to start to change because things like this happen all the time. This was just an event that happened to be caught on camera, which was very fortunate for everyone across the country, just because it's going to take things like this to start the conversation to progress. Well, the sad thing is, is that it took that in order for me to realize that what everybody's been saying, not even just blacks, I mean, there have been whites and lots of different colors are saying, yes, that racism is true. It's real. It's there. But honestly, I don't know. I didn't really believe that it was as bad as it really is. And- I don't think you're around enough of it or have been around enough of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't been exposed to it. It's not in our community. You know, I didn't grow up in like a multicultural area. I grew up with everybody was white in my school. I don't think there was one black kid. No, there was a couple of black kids, like two maybe. Yeah. And so I just didn't see it. But anyway, so when I was watching that video, my very first thought was that I wanted to step in and tell him to stop. And I kept on thinking like, why isn't the guy taking the video? Why isn't he stopping? Saying something, yeah. Yeah, and then I thought, you know, if he's black too, then maybe that's why he's not stepping in and you know doing something because he doesn't want to die either but i'm like oh my gosh like no one did anything to go and intervene it's really sad because everybody's got a phone nowadays and i feel like the first reaction is just whenever you see something like this happen this even happened to us i forget where we were i think it might have been california but we saw a fight going to start across the street and the first thing that we did was took out our phones to try to capture it capture the street fight outside I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. That's the first reaction for a lot of people. And, you know, it's great because we can capture these things and it's the only way for everyone to get exposed to it. But you kind of see how hesitant people are around cops to even say anything, especially black people, because if they intervene, if they question, if they do anything, it's almost like they're seen as hostile. And I don't know how to make that change happen like how do you change the brains of people like just such a difficult situation well this whole week i've truly been off instagram just off the internet really i've just been really really focused on trying to educate myself because I feel so ignorant. Like, I don't know a better word than ignorant because, of course, I've heard about this. Black people have been crying and crying and crying for as long as I can remember. And I just, I mean, of course, I felt bad for them, but I I did not know the extent of it. And it just breaks my heart. And so I'm so happy that I guess the wool is off my eyes and that I'm literally taking this whole week to just educate myself so that we can raise our daughter and our son, who are privileged white children, to recognize that A, they're privileged. And B, they need to stand up for any kid that has any sort of prejudice. This is like really, really changed me. 
And so I know that it's rest in peace, George Floyd. I feel so terrible that his life was taken like this, but I am genuinely so thankful that that one man captured it on a video and that I was able to see it because it opened my eyes. And I don't think it just opened my eyes. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes, hence the movement that is going on right now. So after I saw that video, I immediately Googled how to speak out against racism or something like that. And I came across this article by Forbes. It's titled, How to Speak Up When You Witness Discrimination. And honestly, I was like, Forbes? Like, what? That's kind of an unlikely source because I associate Forbes with money and businesses. But I don't know. I clicked it anyways. And honestly, I was blown away by this article. So I had our assistant, Zoe, track down the two leading ladies of this article. And instead of me telling you their story and the way that they met, which just to give you like a reference, one is a white woman and one is a black woman. And they met in a Philadelphia Starbucks. They had such an experience together that they will forever be united because of it. And I was just like blown away by what these two ladies did together. I don't want to like butcher their story for them. So I feel so fortunate that these ladies have decided to take the time out to come on. And that was really powerful. Yeah, I'm not even going to give you any more than that because I think you're going to want to hear straight from them. Like these ladies are incredible. They're doing an amazing thing for the Black Lives Matter movement. And I couldn't be more humbled and proud and honored that they are here on Hot Marriage Cool Parents. So without further ado, let's get the ladies on. With everything that's going on, Doug and I are sad to admit this, but we have a lot to learn about racism in our country and we want to do better. We want to educate ourselves as much as we can for the sake of our family, our friends, and our community, but probably more importantly for our kids. This week, we have two amazing ladies on the podcast, Michelle Sahin and Melissa DePino. Michelle and Melissa met in 2018 in a Philadelphia Starbucks after having witnessed and stood up to racism. Together, they started From Privilege to Progress, a national movement to desegregate the public conversation about race. They lead the way for anti-racism by learning, speaking, and amplifying the voice of people of color on social media. Ladies, thank you so much. I know this is a very busy time for everybody right now. Thank you so much for taking the time out to come onto the podcast. What you're doing is so awesome. Thank you. We're so happy to be here. Absolutely. When I stumbled across your article in Forbes, I just knew that you'd be the perfect guest to come on the podcast to answer some questions that many people have about navigating racism in 2020. And before like we get into asking questions and all that jazz, I was kind of hoping you would share your story about how you met and what happened at that Philadelphia Starbucks? Sure. So I'll start. This is Michelle. Thank you again for having us. It's really important that we get this message out. You know, that day in Starbucks was really interesting because uh, Melissa and I actually didn't know each other. Our friendship is so organic that people assume that we went in there together and we actually were complete strangers. So I went to the Starbucks that day. I had lived in Philly for about five years at that point. And to be honest with you, I would avoid that Starbucks and I would walk past an additional about three or four blocks just to get to a Starbucks in the city of Philadelphia that was more diverse. Because I felt like when I would go to that other Starbucks, the one other time I had been there in five years of living in Philadelphia, I didn't feel like it was diverse enough. But for some reason this day, on this Thursday, I don't know what it was, but something told me just to pop back in there and try it out again. 
after five whole years. So I go in there and I'm sitting there for a while and, you know, same scenario as what I witnessed before. I was one of the only people of color in the whole Starbucks. I was one of two black people when I was in there, but I said, whatever, I'm already here. I'll just stay and work. So I had been there for quite some time and I saw these two black men walk in about an hour after I had been there. And, you know, I took notice to them because now instead of two of us, now there were four black people in the Starbucks. So, you know, you kind of feel a little bit more like there's some representation there. You feel actually, to be honest, a little bit more comfortable. So they walk in and they go up to the barista and they ask the barista if they could use the bathroom. And she said, no, I'm sorry, it's for paying customers only. And they sat down and that was it. That was literally it. And she walked away and I actually saw her mouthing something to herself. I, I, I saw her saying something and my initial gut, my initial reaction was, I think she just said something racist. I don't know why I felt that. I just felt that. Um, but in those moments where we have a, a, a quick reactionary thought, it's important to check yourself. So I checked myself and I said, well, Michelle, now you're being prejudiced. You have no idea what she's saying to herself. Maybe she forgot some simple syrup in the back. Maybe she forgot something, you know. Now you're just judging her based off of, you're, you're not even sure what. So put your head back down and, and, and work. Well, about five minutes later, the cop showed up, which I thought was kind of weird because I had been there for almost an hour, for about 45 minutes. And I thought to myself, maybe they're responding to something earlier in the day. Maybe they're even responding to something from the previous day because nothing had happened since I had been there. It was very strange. Well, I heard the, you know, that I was close enough to the counter. Um, again, I could hear her say, no, it's for paying customers only. And when the cops came in, they were talking to her. And I heard the moment that she lied. And I heard her say, those two gentlemen in the, in the, in the corner are refusing to leave. And my, I was like, oh, my God, I, I was right. I was probably right. She probably did say something racist because I'm watching her and I'm hearing her lie. Did she ever ask them to leave? No. That's so That's crazy. The thing. How long after they sat down did the cops show up? Um, it was within a few minutes, but I know that she actually called 911 within, it was a, a 120 seconds. Yeah. What? 120 seconds later, two minutes, and she called the cops and nothing had happened. Like the Starbucks was quiet and silent. That's why when the cops came in, I was confused <laughs> because I assumed that they were responding <laughs> like to a call from like earlier in the day or maybe the day before because nothing had happened. Like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So then what happened? Um, so I started getting nervous because when I realized that they didn't ask any follow-up questions, they didn't ask for what had happened, nothing. They just said, okay, we'll remove them. And she just pointed to them in the corner. And I remember I looked at them and they looked at me and I looked at the cops and they looked at the cops. When you have black skin, I'm just going to be perfectly blunt on this podcast right now. You don't always trust the police because your experience with them is night and day compared to what other people experience. We can't just implicitly trust them. We just cannot. So when there's that type of presence, we get a little bit tense. And when I saw them beeline for these guys after not having asked any follow-up questions or not really having dug in more, that's what worried me. Because I thought to myself, I, I do not want to witness an act of police brutality in front of my eyes. I cannot do it. I see it too often on social media and these cops aren't asking any questions which makes me question 
to be honest, I guess just their competence. Because why wouldn't you ask more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, so they beeline for these guys. I started sweating. If you've ever had like a panic attack where you know you're about to do something, but you don't know what it is you're about to do, that's what I was feeling. I started shaking. I started physically sweating because I was scared. I was terrified. So I get up and I get kind of close to them. And I had started recording. I got as close as I could without drawing too much attention to myself from the police themselves. But I couldn't help it. I just started kind of raising my voice and yelling. Their friend showed up who happened to be a white man, Jewish man, who walked in and said, how is this not obvious racial discrimination? Like, how is that not so clear what is happening right now? So him and I were yelling, we're talking. Girl walks up to me and says, what's going on? And I said, they're being arrested for not buying a coffee. Which is interesting because the white guy that had been next to me for 45 minutes, he didn't have a coffee. Right. I saw a white girl come in, use the bathroom mid-jog and leave. And I thought to myself, I wonder if she works here. You know, she just knows the code. Or I wonder if she's here so often that they know her and trust her and just give her the codes of the bathroom. Because when you're a person of color, you police your own body. I don't think to just walk into an establishment and just use the bathroom. I want to make sure I'm not drawing any attention. I buy something first just because I don't want anyone looking, saying anything about me, you know? So... You know, two cops turned to four, turned to six. There were eight cops there to arrest two guys, all for not buying a coffee. So wow. I walk up to the police officer, still trembling, still sweating. And I said to him, why are you doing this? And he told me to go ask the barista, which I thought was a very interesting thing to tell me, as if there was no accountability or responsibility for them to explain why they were doing it. It was like, go ask our boss, <laughs> the barista, which I thought was just kind of weird. Also, because you're allowing me to go confront somebody. And that's like, you don't know what could happen if I go confront this person, but whatever. So. So I go up to the barista and I say, why did you call the cops? And I mean, from the top of her head to her entire chest, flushed bright red, bright, 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 bright red. And she goes, I can't really say. And I said, well, I can say it because I watched the entire thing happen from beginning to end. I said, did you feel like your life was in danger? And she ignored me. She actually walked down the Starbucks aisle. So I followed her because she was trying to blatantly ignore me. I asked her again. I said, did you feel like your life was in danger? She continued to ignore me. So I took a step back. I yelled some explicit at her. I called her an effing coward. <laughs> Walked back to my table and I'm packing up my stuff. And I look up and there are all these white women staring at me. I saw some white girl, her lip was quivering. She was about to cry. Another white girl was looking at me. I could see her packing up her stuff too. But aye, the aye, only aye. other person to actually verbally address the entire Starbucks that day was Melissa. I did not know her. I didn't know her name. But I looked up at her, we locked eyes, she stood up and she said something along the lines of, I was just here, I come here for hours, I sit here, I don't buy a coffee, no one ever asks me to leave and you know why. We basically staged a walkout, we walked out, a bunch of people followed us, we watched them get handcuffed behind their backs, put in a cop car. Um, I asked the cops again, I'm like, this is so insane, do you understand that you are arresting two guys for not buying a coffee and they turn their backs to me um so you know melissa walks up to me she asked me if the caption for twitter was okay to be honest i didn't even really read it <laughs> i was like hey whatever <laughs> whatever just post it i don't give a shit yeah. you notice i asked a black person because i was like i don't know what to say <laughs> and she didn't even read it <laughs> no at the time i didn't have a twitter or facebook i only had instagram and i was barely even on instagram so i wasn't even anticipating it I wasn't thinking about the viralness because I wasn't super into social media. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just pissed, you know, and still sweating. <laughs> so I remember having some conversations with some girls outside. There. I remember, you know, there were girls that were like, I can't believe this happened. If it were me, I would have flipped out. And they were all white girls. I looked at them and I said, and you would have been able to flip out because you're white. And they looked at each other and they looked back at me and they realized in that moment, they were like, you know what? You're right. And they realized this is about white privilege. This is about what it means to live in a black body. 
in this country. Um, Without so a, a doubt. few days later, it goes viral. I don't really pay attention. I got a random text message from someone saying, hey, Melissa DePino's trying to find you. And I was grateful. I was thankful because I saw it going viral. I wasn't going to raise my hand and say, hey, it was me. Right. But I noticed what was going on. Melissa, what's going through your head as you're watching this happen? Oh, all, I can, all I can say is that so you know how when you're in a space and when black people come in, you notice their race, you notice that they're black, right? It was in that moment where it was not just that I noticed they were black, but that I noticed I was white. It was like in that moment, I felt that my whiteness was like something I finally saw. So that's what made me go, holy crap, like what is happening? I mean, like I knew intellectually those things happened. I didn't know how much. The difference between knowing and feeling in your heart right in your head versus your heart that's when i felt it as opposed to just knew it in my head that's exactly so it was crazy so i was like shaking too and i wrote that caption and i was like you know send wasn't even thinking that's honestly kind of i feel like what happened to me and probably countless other people when they saw that video of george floyd that there's no mistake in that he was an innocent black man who literally was unarmed, harmless. I mean, he wasn't even being like difficult. And he literally just sat there begging for his life and crying out to his mama. And it just did something in me where when you say that, like, you know, you've heard it, obviously, you know that it's been around. But when you actually saw it yourself, and it caused the feelings yeah. inside you, like that is exactly what happened to me. And the first thing that kind of came to my mind was why isn't the person taking this video? Why isn't he stepping up and like, moving that officer off of this guy who's dying and then the second thought that came to my mind was maybe he's black too and he doesn't want to die too and so then the third thing this is how I found you ladies is I was like what would I have done like I think I would have went and been like this is sounds crazy but like the thought that comes to mind is call the cops like I'm a white woman and I know I'm a uh -huh. white privileged uh -huh. woman so in my mind I'm like call the cops they're gonna do something but that is the cops and like how are we gonna call the cops on the cops so yeah the next thing was okay so clearly you know racism is really real like it is so real and I've been ignorant and I have not known how real it is but I was like how do you even go about standing up like what do you say and what do you do and that's when I googled something like how to speak up when there's a racist incident happening and I came across this Forbes article and I was like Forbes like that doesn't seem like I don't know and but some reason it like I still clicked on it and it was you two ladies and this whole incident that you just explained in the Starbucks and then I watched the video that you guys had shared and I was like good god like this has been happening like right under all of our noses and the black community has cried out begging for the white community to help because like you know there's just not a whole lot you can do unless we all come together and yet we haven't been helping enough and so I guess the biggest reason why I wanted you ladies to come on was to share with us all about what we can do to do something right now the thing is it's not enough to be anti-racist wait what is that I'm sure you ladies know the quote way better than I do uh, uh, yeah not enough to be not racist you have to be anti-racist yeah yep. exactly and, um, so this is Melissa and I, I wanted to just add something to what we we're saying about that moment and so the great author Toni Morrison she has this quote and it says, no one ever talks about the moment you found out that you were white or the moment you found out you were black. 
that's a profound revelation. The minute you find that out, something happens. You have to renegotiate everything. And that, to me, that becomes the purpose. Okay, so we need to talk about the moment you found out you were white. And it sounds to me like the moment you found out you were white was when you saw that video. And yep. um, absolutely. And then at that point, now that you know, now that you see things, now that your lens is started to be a little bit cleansed and you can see things that you hadn't seen before, now what you have to do is you have to dismantle unlearn all those things you've been socialized to learn in your traditional education through entertainment and the media and all those things and you have to unlearn those things and relearn really what the history of this country was and how that still affects people of color today and you know that seems to me like the biggest hurdle for white people just even speaking for myself just the learning process i feel you know, has to come from within and it's going to take our generation to teach the next generation because there's a lot of old school thoughts around this. And what's tough to kind of get over is do we push more for progress within the community and the white community or do we look for reform within police? Because police are always the ones that are getting the headlines and getting the news headlines because they're supposed to be the protectors. So I feel like it's kind of like two battles, you know, one with the thought process of the population and also just reforming the police. I, I guess what do you feel takes more of the priority? And how do you learn that? I feel like it takes everything, honestly. I feel like the white people, you have to look within yourselves and you have to change your own thinking. So that's for each individual person. But at the same time, you also have to work for systemic change. And you talk about policing. Policing is just one of the areas where yeah. systemic change needs to happen. So if right now you're solely focused on policing, that's great. That is policing from its very foundations was based on white supremacy. Um, it was built that way from the core, okay? Yeah, so policing, yeah, policing was actually, they were originally slave patrol. So yeah. when you start out as slave patrol, and that's at the core, their mission was to literally control the enslaved population and protect white people from the slaves. That is still going on today. That is at the core. That is wild. Yeah, so yes, it's policing. It's education. It's mm -hmm. healthcare, it's mm -hmm. housing. Our country was built on the idea of white supremacy. It was built on the idea of raising up white people and pushing down black people. It was built that way from the very beginning. And mm -hmm. until you understand that, then you can't work to dismantle those systems. You need to have that understanding. You need to listen. And Melissa, was this the situation that really brought the attention to you? I, I know that you said that, you know, this is when you started to really feel like or know that you were white. To start a movement like Privilege to Progress, were you actively in any foundations or groups or was this even a thing before the Starbucks incident? Um, I had educated myself prior to some degree. I was a teacher in Camden, New Jersey, which is virtually all black and brown students. And when I in graduate school, I had minored in African-American studies so I could, you know, teach my students from a place that would be most productive. But even that, I really was nowhere. I'll tell you, I would say the first day was that day in April 2018. So even any work I had done prior to that, I still wasn't able to see. It took that moment. And the thing that happened that day is that once I saw it, I just wasn't able to stop. And I'm a communications person and a writer by trade. And I couldn't 
sort of go forward and use my skills for anything else at this point. And I'm so grateful for Michelle because Michelle and I, the partnership we have, it's so impactful and so valuable and so meaningful in my life. And I'm just so glad that people are listening to us. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of that and the partnership you have and the foundation that you've created. So those of you guys who are listening, if you're interested, it's called Privilege to Progress. And they have an amazing Instagram page that I actually just started following myself. There are so many amazing resources. So the biggest thing that led me to you guys to that Forbes interview was I'm just begging to know, like, how do we speak up when we witness discrimination? How can we make change? And right now, at the time that this podcast comes out, we're in the midst of muting ourselves, us white people, I should say, muting ourselves, or I don't even really know what the stand is, but I'm kind of trying to follow it and take part of it as far as like not posting any of my own content, not sharing any ads or anything of that nature so that there's space for black people to speak and to tell us what they've been trying to tell us for so long. It's just been drowned out by all this quote unquote white noise. So that being said, ladies, I would love for you to tell us what can we do when we are in the midst of a racist conversation, whether it be at home with our kids or our family or if we're out like you guys were at the public Starbucks or wherever it may be, what do you do to stand up against racism? You know, we actually have a whole resource guide on our website dealing with exactly this because it can be confusing what to say in the moment. We tell people if you're caught off guard, you're not sure what to say in the moment, even just interrupting, quote unquote, seemingly innocent joke or whatnot, you can say, you know, that's not okay with me. Would you be making those comments if such and such person was here? Would you be treating me this exact same way if I was in this position? You have to interrupt those moments any way that you can by even just asking the person to reflect on what they're doing. Because this is the thing. The people that killed Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, George Floyd, the literally thousands and thousands of Black people in this country over the years, their racism was going unchecked. Right. You don't wake up one day and decide to kill someone because you're Black. You have multiple... Multiple, multiple moments where you're saying racist things, where you're doing racist things. And each time that you are not being checked, it reaffirms that what you're saying is okay. It reaffirms that what you're doing is completely fine and accepted, right? But maybe if these killers had a lot of interruptive moments by the white people around them to say, bro, what are you doing? Why are you saying that? That's not okay. That's not funny. Would you say that if they were here? You know, just having those moments of interruption consistently would maybe make someone think, maybe I'm I should really look at the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm saying. I also give this analogy. You wouldn't go into war without a weapon, right? You wouldn't go into battle without ever having trained a day in your life. So that's why we say education is the number one thing that you need to do because once you start to understand how the system is built, things just start to make sense. Even for me, I'm first-generation Ghanaian-American. So my parents are from Ghana. When you move to this country, you know, you want the best schools. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the best schools are strategically placed in the white neighborhoods. Right. I grew up a black girl, African girl, in a completely white town. I learned what white people learned about history. I learned the racist things that they learned about people that look like me. And I actually absorbed those messages. There were many, many years where I didn't want to be perceived as the way that I knew white Americans looked at black Americans. So I tried to purposely hold on to my African identity, hoping that that could ward off some of the racism that I experienced on a pretty regular basis. Because as soon as a white person would find out, oh, you're African, suddenly I seemed just a bit different. It didn't save me from the racism, but it really warded it off 
a bit. And, you know, I understand how that could happen because, like I said, I learned what you learn. You learn completely whitewashed history growing up. I learned nothing about my people. But I learned so much about World War II and Europe that I, as an 18-year-old black girl in a white town, did my senior project on the Holocaust. I had that much empathy and understanding about their Holocaust that that's what I did my entire year's project on. Mm. Yet, we don't have that same education about what's going on in the black communities in our own backyards, in our own country. That's so Once true. we start there, once you watch 13th, listen to scene on radio and read these books, those types of the things that you need to say in those moments I promise you will start to flow so much more it'll start to be more natural because you're going to come from an educated background but until you start to build that knowledge base just interrupting and say that's not okay with me if you see something that looks suspicious just even your white presence to be honest with you matters go stand near the incident that's going on Mm -hmm. stand in solidarity we just posted something on our pages about a little white girl that stood I saw that in front of a black boy protesting because she even at you know I don't know how old she was maybe she was I don't know 13 14 years old understood that her whiteness was a protection yes for this black kid that was a powerful video that I saw also yeah ladies thank you so much for all of this so before we let you go I just wanted to like kind of round up the little tidbit bits of information that you do have. So first of all, for those of you guys listening, and if you want, like Michelle has said, the best thing we can do is truly just educate ourselves. And if we don't know where to start, neither did I. So I'm right there with you if you don't know where to start. And that's why I had these ladies come on. So I would recommend the first thing to do is you could follow them. They have an amazing resource right on their own Instagram page. It's at Priv to Prague, right, ladies? Yep, exactly. At Priv to Prague. And they are the founders of Privilege to Progress. And so you can just go straight to their Instagram and they have a link in their bio that kind of directs you to a lot of different resources. But like Michelle and Melissa were saying, you can go to Netflix and watch. I haven't seen it yet because I only just heard about this now, but it's called 13th, right, ladies? Uh-huh. Yep. So I'm actually going to be watching that tonight. And then you also recommended a couple books and a podcast or a radio station. Can you remind me what those ones were? Um, that was Seen on Radio, Seeing White. Okay. It's a series within that podcast. Okay, perfect. And so that's another place that you can go to get some resources. And honestly, I think that what I've done myself is I've started following more black speakers just to fill mm-hmm. my feed with a little less white and a little bit more color. And to kind of like a lot of people are saying right now, today is Blackout Tuesday. And by the time this airs, it'll be well past Blackout Tuesday. But that's the point is that it's not just about one day in history. It's not just about standing up one day for certain causes. This is going to be an ongoing battle, but I believe in my heart that there is actually change happening. I mean, I've never seen so many blacked out Instagram pages of people just trying to do something to make a stand. And it's really, really beautiful. And I really do believe that, you know, for anybody that is listening and especially within really all cultures, the changing of the message can start with each of you. And You know, most of the racist comments, thoughts, ideas, stereotypes are done within your same group of white people or really any people. And it's going to take one person to just, like you said, check yourself and change the messaging within your groups, because whether you realize it or not, that has a domino effect. And then we've seen it over and over and over again with the little kid that, you know, maybe is part of a family that grows up to be a 
cop and is just embedded with these ideas. When you're in your group of friends, it's going to take one or two people to just check yourself and start to change the message within your group and clicks. Absolutely. And one last thing I want to say real fast before we head on out is just that I don't believe that all white people are bad. I don't believe all cops are bad. I don't believe all black people are bad. I believe that there is always a bad apple within the bunch and it takes the bunch to kind of help filter out and try to help change that bad apple. So this is not, you know, against (laughs) cops. This isn't against black people, white people. This is about... It's about bad apples. (laughs) It's just about bad apples in general. You're all bad. Get out of here. No, but, but it's just about educating ourselves so that we can all try to be good apples. How about that for an analogy? <laughs> Ladies, thank you so very, very much for taking the time out to come here. I'm going to have in the show notes a direct link to them so that you can find them easily. Do you ladies want to share where everyone can find you, um, whether it be Instagram or a certain website or an email? I would love to give anybody listening a chance to be able to reach out to you or to follow you themselves. Yeah, it's that Priv to Prague. We are P-R-I-V-T-O. P-R-O-G. We're there on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is from privilegetoprogress.org. We have t-shirts we're selling. We have decals so you can purchase merch there and show your support. Awesome. Thank you so very, very much for taking the time out to come on and to educate us all. It means the world to me. It really does. And I'm happy to be one to stand in solidarity. Is that how you say it? <laughs> I appreciate you amplifying it really. I mean, that's exactly what we ask for is that if we had white influencers amplifying in their mostly white networks, which is something we didn't talk about is that, you know, if we're white, our networks are 91% white. And before this week, they were not sharing about race, <laughs> even, you know, the liberals and progressives. So too afraid, they didn't know what to say. So every time you amplify, which is what you all are doing, you make a difference. So we appreciate that. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely be in touch with you. I'll see you over on Instagram. Excellent. <laughs> <you>. Yes. <laughs> see you there. I couldn't love those ladies more. I am so incredibly blown away by, first of all, how polite they are, even though I admitted my ignorance. (laughs) Yeah, they were very engaging. And it's really nice to see when people get together because of something, but to also make a change. And, you know, privilege to progress is something that Jamie and I are both going to stand behind. And hopefully that this connected with a lot of you, because it is going to take all of us to collectively start to really reach out to our children, our friends, pick up on these things, because it's real. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not seen all the time. Absolutely. Next week, you'll be happy to hear that we have a huge YouTube star coming on. And this woman, I should, I almost think it's woman, all, yeah. It's almost hard to say woman because she's a teenager, but she's a mama of two. She's 19 years old. And I am so proud of her. She reminds me so much of myself. Took YouTube by storm, this one. She's so amazing. Like she was a teen mom who was trying to figure out how to raise and support her family as a teenager. And she had a real rough upbringing like with her mom and stuff, but she holds no grudges. When I was her age, I held a lot of grudges, got to be honest. You still do. I kind of do, but I have forgiven my mom. (laughs) But anyways, this girl is just awesome. I like want her to be my little sister. Like I just love (laughs) her so much. Her name's Yasmin and she's coming on next week. I can't wait for you guys to be able to hear her interview. Yeah, that was a really fun interview to do. And for everything Hot Marriage Cool Parents, you can definitely keep in touch with us, whether you leave comments or five 
five-star reviews, or you can find us on Instagram, Hot Marriage School Parents, or Jamie and Otis, Doug Hainer. And I'm sure next week we'll have Hendrix and Henley chatter again in the beginning. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see you guys next week. I hope that this was a real eye-opening and a good interview for you guys. We would love to hear your feedback on it. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. Something that I wanted to mention, and this is going to be a shout out for my wife. And if anybody hasn't heard of Jamie's background and everything, she really documented it in her book, Wifey 101, Everything I Got Wrong When Meeting Mr. Right. And we've had a ton of new orders and we do love writing in them, giving shout outs in them, writing personal messages. And if anybody hasn't picked up a copy, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's a phenomenal read. Great for the summer. We also have Jamie Otis Jewelry. And I know that I'm plugging my wife hardcore right now. Yeah, you are. But it's just really cool to see that people are still buying. Yeah, it's really, really sweet. I am very humbled and honored. Go to jamieotis.com to get a personalized signed copy. Amazon if you just want to get a regular book or jamieotis.com for your jewelry.